Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. Welcome to a brand new series called Bragging Rights. Wasn't Holy Ground fun, though? So good. God is so good. I love how he works these things out. Just the perfect words for when we need them. And I believe right now he has a right now word for us, too. Right? Holy Ground was last month. God is always doing a new thing, and he has a new word for us in this season. So I've been thinking a lot lately about how we do church right now. And by that, I mean how we have to do church right now. Right? And when I say thinking, I mean mostly complaining. I've been doing a lot of complaining about how we have to do church right now. Mostly to God. I said, God, we went 14 weeks of online only. Right? I mean, that's a long time. The, the week before canceling, in-person services, it was like, that's not even possible, right? Like, it was unfathomable. (laughs) Like, I couldn't even imagine it. And we went 14 weeks of that. 14 weeks of not seeing your faces here in this room. 14 weeks of staring at a camera rather than faces. 14 weeks of surviving on the little scraps of internet feedback that I would get sometimes. (laughs) Right? I I mean, I was used to... uh, smiling faces at me. Even right now, I can't, I can't see you. <laughs> I was used to that. I was used to, I don't know, laughing and crying together around the altars, right? Really hugging each other through the difficulties in life and praying together. I was used to that rush of the Holy Spirit that would come when we're all in the room and worshiping as one spirit. I mean, I grew up literally here <laughs> in this house, in that atmosphere. I missed it. It was almost like a homesick feeling. And, you know, the weekly groups, week in and week out, I'd get feedback and I'd hear the hearts of you all. And I don't know, maybe it's it's sort of like parenting, right? You, you do all of this work for your kids or a trip or something like that. And you pour your heart and soul into something and, and you don't quite realize how much you live for that. Thank you, mom, until you don't get it. <laughs> Right? And it (laughs) feels empty all of a sudden. It's frustrating. Church felt empty to me. Not just in the building sense, because the building was empty, but in the metaphorical sense, in the emotional sense, it felt empty. And I was complaining (laughs) on a very personal and selfish level. I was complaining because I'm not lying when I say I'm also grateful for a lot of things going through this. I'm grateful for online church. I'm grateful for all of the things that we've been doing, but just on that, you know, selfish level. <laughs> Can we be real this morning? A little selfishly. And, and it got me thinking, questioning really. I've been asking a lot of questions and you're going to hear a lot of questions come out of my mouth today. How selfish have I made church? We, one of our core values here at Freedom Valley is we church, not me church, right? It's about all of us on a mission together, serving the Lord together, not my preferences and what I want and how comfortable I am. How selfish have I made it? And I started to think, is church only worth it if I can personally see the difference it's making in others? Is my personal growth only worth it if I can share it with others? 
I a good leader? Only if the crowd is growing behind me. Are we only being effective as a church when the metrics show an upward trend? See, the beginning of this year and the beginning of most years, we set goals for ourselves. Right? And and we talk about them occasionally from stage. We celebrate how many baptisms we've seen, how many salvations we've seen in this season, right? We want to celebrate those good things that God is doing and moving in our culture, in our, in our midst. But, you know, things like baptisms, new partners, salvation, even the yearly budget is a goal of sorts, right? (laughs) Because I believe in measuring what we're doing. Some numbers do matter. We should be measuring it, setting goals. It's, it's a way of being intentional about, about the mission that God has given us, making sure we stay on mission. And I want to be careful with that. Always. It's a good thing. But then 2020 happened. <laughs> right? uh, we're halfway through 2020 here, and uh, the metrics, uh, honestly, <laughs> feels like a bit of a deflated balloon. Right? Like... Uh, <sighs> I heard a church leader say this week, our primary metric right now is to not be moved and not be shaken. All other metrics are out the window. (laughs) How do you measure not being shaken, not being moved? And yet when I heard that, I started to put the pieces together of what God was saying to me. See, a couple of weeks ago, I came across a passage of scripture that I had read before I'm sure uh, many times, but this time it just hit different. Don't you love how God's word does that? (laughs) It stuck with me ever since, and I just knew it was a sermon series going forward that we had to explore this down deep into us as a church, that that it was for all of us and not just me. And so today I'm going to read you a couple portions of scripture. The first one comes from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. The Corinthians had been denouncing him as a leader in this context. They were looking at more fancy speakers, and I mean that literally. (laughs) They liked the more skilled speakers, the the people that presented themselves better. They were rich and, and asked for lots of money, and they just liked, they were going after those people instead of Paul. And even though Paul had started their church from nothing, I mean, we read the story in Acts 18 and and definitely go back and read it if you haven't for a while because it's amazing how Paul gets kicked out of the temple for preaching Jesus and he goes to this amphitheater in the Corinthian city and just starts preaching there. He begins this church from nothing and yet they're still (sighs) turning their back on him. Just listen to Paul's metrics here. 2 Corinthians 11, verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? He's asking about these other fancy leaders. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger 
and thirst, and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked, and the list goes on. These are Paul's metrics. (laughs) This is what that church leader was talking about this week when he said, these are our new metrics, to not be moved. No matter what happens in the world, no matter what the world asks of us, no matter how many shipwrecks, how many floggings, how many prison sentences, these are Paul's metrics. He's demonstrating how he cannot be moved. He's proving his obedience to God, his slavery to Jesus. Words he uses, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. Not by how rich and powerful and effective he has been. You notice he doesn't brag about how many churches he's started or how many people he's gotten saved. He's bragging here about how much he has been willing to give up in the name of Jesus. How much Jesus has gotten him through. He's willing to give up his freedom, his warmth, his clothing, his comfort, his dignity, his pride, certainly, his sense of security. And I have this urgency in my soul right now to tell the American church we have been living in a time where we have to give up some of the comforts that we're used to for the sake of staying connected to the body of Christ. To obey the biblical mandate given to us by Jesus to meet together, to not neglect meeting together. We may not be far from a time when we're going to have to change other metrics as well. And we always knew this was coming, right? The book of Revelations exists in the Bible for a reason, to prepare us for something. We don't always know what. It's a little murky. (laughs) Prophecy can be that way, right? But... Not only is it going to get worse before it gets better, but it's going to get better. That is the eternal hope that we have to look forward to. This is not a bad news bear sermon, okay? We also have an incredible hope, but so much of the New Testament is preparing us for this. And I want to read you another passage that does this, not from Paul, but from Peter. If this wasn't just a Paul calling, although he wrote much of the New Testament, This one's from Peter, and it says, 1 Peter 4, verse 12 says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. (laughs) Anybody feel that a little deeply this morning? Let me read it again. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of God rests upon you. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs, but it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. For the time has come for judgment. And it must begin with God's household. If judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? So, if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. And trust your lives to the God who created you. 
for he will never fail you. I think this is why we had to go over last week before this week, right? Who makes mouths? Who is the God who created you? Did he not know you were suited for this time, this place? Don't be surprised. The very first verse of this passage, verse 12, dear friends, don't be surprised. So answer me this. And I told you I was going to ask you a lot of questions today. Why are we so surprised all the time? Why are we still surprised when fiery trials come? Why are we still surprised when we're asked to give up comforts in the name of Jesus? Why are we still surprised? The Bible says it. It said it for 2,000 years now, right? Why are we still surprised? Could it be because the past 50 years or so, 100 years or so, 200 years or so, we've had it pretty good as American Christians? In this part of the world, not all of it, certainly, we've had it pretty good. Could it be that we've gotten very used to our blessings? Could it be that we've made Christianity into something it's not because of that? That we now feel entitled to those blessings from God. Right, that we're more like couch potatoes, if you want to go back to a sermon from last year, the very technical term, couch potatoes, or spoiled rotten brats, also from a sermon from last year, right? Could it be that we've fallen into a little bit of that reclining on our, our couches of comfortable church, lulled into a sleepy discipleship? And we're not unique in this, I'm not trying to beat up the American church. We're not unique. All throughout the Old Testament, the, the Israelites get to a point of prosperity and they get comfortable. They get lax about certain things. They think they're entitled to them. And so God's going to bless us no matter what we do, right? Inevitably, trouble comes every time they sell out. Every time. We think things should be this way because they've always been this way. Have you even read the Bible? <laughs> They've not always been this way. We romanticize the past as if it was somehow more righteous than today. The world has been getting worse since the Garden of Eden. It was perfect then. We messed it up as humanity. It's only getting worse, right? Christianity is actually the most countercultural thing to have ever happened to any human culture in history, since its inception, the most countercultural thing, right? And as I'm complaining to God this week, God said, the world is against you, and you're surprised? Look at the guy you're following. The world was against Jesus, too. This is what you signed up for what you signed up for. For the past 2,000 years, the world has been against us. Now, I want to be very clear here because I also think that sometimes when we say the world is against us, we think government is against us. We start going down a real weird road. And, and this is not a stick it to the man kind of sermon. Okay? I, I've actually been praying about this a lot because I think sometimes we... we 
We often handle, as Christians, we often handle persecution really, really wrong. It couldn't be further from how Jesus handled persecution. And 1 Peter 2, just two chapters before I read earlier, also tells us about how to go about this, how to walk this line carefully, right? 1 Peter 2, verse 13 says, For the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake, not for our own sake, not for our comfort's sake, for the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. Whether the king is head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honor those who do right, right? They set up judicial systems. That's one of the reasons government exists. It is God's will that you honor, that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. Did it say, it is God's will that your words, your anger, (laughs) should silence those? It's God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. Fear God. Respect the king. I think... Sometimes we get a little bit too, and I think this might be a little bit of an American streak, right? We're very proud of who we are. We're very individualistic, and we think, you know, the the government is out to get us as Christians. Are they asking us to do anything directly against the Word of God right now? And I'm going to be very specific in Pennsylvania. No. Could it someday contribute to the persecution of the church? Definitely. Is the, the, and listen carefully to this question. I told you I was going to ask a lot of questions. Is the isolation they're submitting us to contributing to the isolation and dissension of the church right now? Only if that kind of selfishness was already there before. In other words, only if we let it. We are in control of how unified we are. We are in control of how we serve our Heavenly Father. We are in control. If we're allowing the government to come between us, that's on us, not the government. Will they step over the line occasionally? Yeah, that's what governments do, right? I'm not looking for it, but I'm not surprised and outraged when it comes either. It's what governments have done for centuries. Step over the line, right? It's power. I respect the king, but I fear God. Respect the authority that God has given them for now. But governments rise and fall. I'm going to fear the Lord above all else. So I'll continue to find ways to worship God, being as respectful as possible to the government. But knowing that there may come a time when I'll have to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord in spite of what the government says knowing that someday that statement alone might be illegal. Read back through Paul's missionary journeys. I encourage you this week, get in the word for yourself. Don't just take my word for it, please. We're entering a time when you have to be educated as well, when you have to be in the word and you can't just take the pastor's word for it. Go read back through Paul's missionary stories. Sometimes the Holy Spirit sends him right into trouble directly in the face of it. 
Sometimes he knows, it's been prophesied that when he goes to a certain city or town, he's going to be put in jail, and he goes anyway. Sometimes, though, he avoids it. He was lowered out of a city walls, out of the, the town walls through a basket once to avoid that trouble. Sometimes he goes into it. Sometimes he avoids it. Sometimes the Holy Spirit seems to send him right into a situation where he's going to be flogged or shipwrecked or sent to prison. And sometimes he leads him astray. It was the same with Jesus. We want to make blanket statements all the time. Right? Like, like you should always do this. You should never do this. But that's just not the pattern I see in Scripture. Jesus sometimes walked straight into a trap they had set for him. And sometimes he slipped away. Sometimes he walked straight into, uh, for just for an example, when he raised Lazarus from the dead, all the disciples warned him, you know they're out to get you back there. Why would you go back? And he says, we're going, and they go. But sometimes he avoids towns and cities for that same reason. We can't make blanket statements like that because it, it doesn't have to do with our comfort. God wasn't trying to save them from all discomfort and pain. He was trying to spread the gospel. And the Holy Spirit is going to lead you through those situations in the best way to spread the gospel. Sometimes that is done best from a prison cell. Paul was willing to go there. I'm not sure we'd have most of the New Testament without Paul writing from prison. <laughs> right? God used those times to spread Christianity, not through that time and place only, but also to ours. Maybe he, he had to be there to write those letters. We wouldn't have them without them, right? Sometimes, though, the gospel is best spread from the road with his protection. Only the Holy Spirit can discern that for sure. So not only are we entering a time where we have to be more in tune with the word than ever, but more in tune with the Holy Spirit, than ever. Is church, is following Jesus, for me, more about my own comfort or about my heart for Jesus? Why are we still surprised when fiery trials come? We've been prepped for this throughout 2,000 years of our history. Since Jesus came, we have been prepped for this. I'm just not sure anymore that comfortable church is a most effective church. Discomfort is what called, caused the early church to spread like wildfire. Discomfort, persecution actually, made them spread throughout the area. That's why we're Christians today probably, because they had to move on. They couldn't stay in their comfortable little church bubble they had to move on. I hope that the season of history that we're entering into, I have to say this carefully because I don't want to be uncomfortable. <laughs> right? Nobody wants that. But what I'm hoping for is that it causes more people to know Jesus. And I'm hoping that I can step up when challenged. That I can be willing to be uncomfortable when challenged. And be very glad about it. <laughs> Secondly, not only does he say, why are we still surprised? But it says, be very glad when trouble comes. Be very glad. You want me to be uncomfortable with a smile on my face? Yes, Peter says. 
be very glad because you are now partners with Christ. See, I think it's easy to look at some of the things that Jesus did and said and agree with it. Super easy. We love the stories of him teaching in front of crowds and gathering people and and preaching on a hillside and welcoming the children to him and and healing people and feeding the 5,000, right? Those are the fun stories, the good stories. But what about the times when Jesus was entrapped with words? What about the times when the crowds get so angry they try to throw him off a cliff? What about the times when the violence becomes 100% turned toward him. Being a partner of Christ has to go much further than the crowds. Has to go to the cross. That kind of devotion is rare. We like the Jesus who cooks breakfast on a beach. Right? John 21, if you don't Believe me that that story's in there. We like that Jesus, but what about the one who says, get out of the boat? Challenges you to step on something that's unsteppable. We like the Jesus that turns water into wine at the wedding, but what about the one who says, stay up all night with me and pray? We like the Jesus that spits in the mud and, and heals eyesight, although even it's, you know, a little weird. We like that one. It's intriguing, right? But what about the one that sleeps while you deal with the storm? We like the Jesus who defends the woman caught in adultery. But what about the one who always knows exactly what the religious people need to hear, not what they want to hear, what they need to hear, even when it makes them want to carry him out of town and throw him off a cliff? I just think it has to go so much further than the crowds. It has to go to the cross. And if you can't share with Christ in the cross, you can't share with him in the reward. This is why we're very glad though we get to participate in union with God because of what Jesus did for us. We often marvel at the disciples and how could they possibly doubt after everything they had seen? How, How could they possibly doubt after all the miracles and all the things that they had seen? But The pressure was so intense. This wasn't social media canceling and spray paint on their driveways. This was crucifixion. Crucifixion. And by the way, when Jesus was right there with them and the mob came for them, they ran. But later, when Jesus went back to heaven, all they had was the Holy Spirit. Almost every single one of them died a criminal's death on behalf of the gospel. They didn't live a life like that because they had walked with Jesus. They lived a life like that because they had the Holy Spirit. The glorious Spirit of God rests upon you, this passage says. Look, I actually like the Jesus who sleeps in the storm, the napping Jesus. And not just because I love naps, because I do, but also because I'd like to be able to sleep through the storm too, to find rest. Not in my circumstances, but in the shadow of the Most High. To be able to know that the world is raging around me, but to also have that utmost trust in the Lord that I can sleep right through it. I can do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Look, this sermon is is not a a stick-it-to-the-man sermon. 
It's also not the opposite. It's a, a listening to the Holy Spirit more than ever before type of sermon. That's how we get through this. That's how Christians, Jesus followers, have always gotten through tough things. Now we see things through a veil, but someday we will see them clearly. We have to keep eternity in mind. Moving forward into this crazy world, I think our metrics are going to have to change. I think more of you are going to have to get comfortable with discipling others, with preaching the gospel wherever you go and not leaving it up to the pastors in the comfortable church that we've enjoyed for so long. I think there may come a time in our lifetime when we may be forced to have church in houses, like the early church. There may come a time when we are very much persecuted for our faith. But our job is to share the love of Jesus. So, like verse 19 says, if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. And trust your lives to the God who created you. For he will never fail you. Jesus didn't send us out into this storm alone and without armor. He said, put on the full armor of God. He said, prepare for battle. So why are we still surprised? Paul didn't brag about his accomplishments in the church world or in the political world or in how he changed the minds of governors and kings. He bragged because he knew that God gave him the strength to continue to spread the gospel even when he was being persecuted. His bragging rights were in Jesus. And Jesus alone. And by the way, he had all the qualifications. He was a Pharisee, meaning he knew the Bible, like he memorized the whole thing. (laughs) He had the qualifications. He knew what he was talking about. He was also a Roman citizen, and he could claim all the rights and privileges of citizenship of the main power at the time. But he didn't claim all of that in his list of qualifications to the church. He claimed his citizenship in heaven. Father, today, even with this sort of heavy sermon, heavy word, I pray that you would arm us. That you're not calling us today to to easy comfort. But you're calling us to live out a life worthy of our calling. You're calling us to put on the full armor of God. Father, I pray for disciples of you that are bold and brave, that would stand up in the face of opposition, not just to fight for our rights, but to fight for love, for people knowing Jesus, to spread the good news, the good news. Arm us with the good news. That we'd be able to walk out into a world that believes we hate them. And just love them to Jesus. Jesus, thank you for being countercultural in your world and modeling how to do it for us. God, help us dig in to that lifestyle more than ever. Help us walk the line of what you want us to do and what our selfish nature wants us to do. God, speak to us. Help us dig into the Holy Spirit like never before. Help us make church not about my comfort, but about my calling. Help us make our lives 
not about my comfort, but about what you've called us to do. Heads bowed and eyes so closed. I've asked you a lot of questions today, challenging your mindsets, attitudes, beliefs, maybe. But I just have one more to consider this morning. We need to be asking ourselves right now, have we made our relationship with God more about our comfort or about our calling? And I know that many of you today are saying, but what is my calling? What's my role and what God's going to do? God, what can I do for you? But guys, we just went through a whole sermon series. Holy ground was about God using somebody not extraordinary for extraordinary things. Right? This doesn't come on the heels of being told that you're a nobody. This comes on the heels of being told that you are a son or daughter of the king. That he's called you. He's gifted you. Maybe out of obscurity, as was in Moses' case. Or out of being the persecutor, like Paul's case. You've been called nonetheless. If you're sitting in these seats, if you're watching online, you have been called by his grace. He wants to equip you for the job you've been called to do. Let go of comfort. Let go of your attachment to the things of this world. Understand that you are a citizen of heaven. Citizen of the kingdom of heaven. God has gifted you in ways you don't even know yet. Lean into the Holy Spirit. Lean into the word. Get into it for yourself. So that when someone asks you, about your faith in Jesus or when someone challenges you about your faith in Jesus, you will be ready with an answer, speaking through the power of the Holy Spirit, defending the name of Jesus. If you today, you're sitting at home or you're sitting in this room and you're thinking, I've never given my life to Jesus. I don't have a relationship with God, my creator. Maybe you're thinking, I've messed this life up so much, surely he wouldn't want my help. I, I'm too messed up. I did, I've, you don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus died for every single one of us, for all of the selfishness, for all of the sin in every single one of our lives. He died. He put his sacrifice on the cross for us. His blood now covers all of that. And all you have to do, he's made it so easy, is call on the name of Jesus. To say, Jesus, I believe you died for me. I believe your blood on that cross covers all of my sin. I choose to accept that forgiveness in my life today and to live your way today forward. If you pray 
that prayer today, maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time and you're sitting in the room, would you just raise your hand at me? I want to be able to just pray for you in that decision. I want to give my life to Jesus. Maybe the first time or the first time in a long time. If you're watching online and you prayed that prayer today, text that number or go to fe.church slash I am in. Let us know. We'd love to arm you, to help you put on that full armor of God that I talked about today to give you the information that you need to begin this life with Jesus. Father, I pray one more time that we would go out of here feeling empowered, not beat up. That we'd go out of here feeling like the Holy Spirit is the wind at our backs. That your grace and mercy follow us everywhere we go. That as long as we're walking in the will of God, that you will take care of us. Whether we find ourselves persecuted or blessed, we are citizens of heaven, not here. We set our eyes on things to come. We know that there is an eternal hope that you've got this. All we have to do is keep doing what is right today. So God, speak to us as we leave here. As we turn off the TV today and we move forward into what you have for us, speak to us. Help us slow down and listen for your voice. Help us use this time that maybe the enemy has meant to isolate us and separate us. Help us use this time to be unified with you, to be brought back into relationship with you, that we can hear your voice so clearly. God, every day when we wake up, help us ask the question, God, what do you have for me to do today? What can I do? Who can I minister to? Who can I share the love of Jesus with today? praise you. Holy Spirit, be with us. Be with us. Show us how we need to change and how we need to move forward. Show us how we can brag in Jesus, not in our own accomplishments, but in who you are. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. Thank you, FV Church, for being here to worship together. Uh, Paul's claim, I'll make my boast in Christ alone want to brag on the things I can celebrate and I actually want to celebrate something that happened even while I was upstairs with our junior hires. We, we went around the room and asked, what is the plan God has for your life? What's your plan for your life? And one of them answered, I know right now that I need to memorize more of his word. Our kids are getting it because they're here connecting. They want to celebrate. We should lead them in that. What is your plan? How? What are you going to brag in this week? What are you going to celebrate in this week? Is the decision you made for Jesus? Let somebody know about that. Is it a commitment that you've made to grow in him? Let somebody know about that. Don't leave this place without setting your heart on Christ and celebrating that together. Before we go, I want to pray over all of you online and here in this room. Would you stand if you're able to receive this blessing before we go? Don't forget if you made a decision to follow Jesus. Let us let somebody know by texting I'm in to the number available to you. 
and let somebody know about those decisions and commitments that you've made to follow him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you richly bless your children? Would you pour your face upon us? Would you shower us with your presence so that we would be known as children of the Most High God? Be with each and every one of us until we see each other again. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.